Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Do you ever have like really strong opinions about things that maybe don't matter all that much? I feel like sometimes I probably do. Sometimes you just sort of feel strongly about something. And this is an example of that, that I probably feel a little bit more strongly about something than many of you do. But I do think it kind of matters because while on the one hand, this may seem like a little thing. On the other hand, sometimes little things can have big positive impacts. What I'm talking about here is the fact that Georgia yesterday uh, officially added a couple of members to its support staff. We call them quality control analysts, things like that. Well, Georgia added two of those yesterday. Brandon Streeter, the former offensive coordinator at Clemson. Daryl Dickey was in a similar role there at Texas A&M. And to the average fan, this sort of either – boy, we got some photos of these guys. This is amazing. This is like a real show. For those of you watching on video, we have like actual uh, – we'll call this B-roll. We have actual B-roll. That's Daryl Dickey right there. I'm, I'm very impressed to know that we have theirs. There's Brandon Streeter there as well. So we're off to a great start here in terms of being able to display these uh, relatively anonymous names and faces to our audience here. So I'm already feeling good about today's show. But the point is this, is that to the average fan, this sort of feels like either – not that big of a deal whatsoever, or if anything, sort of a slight negative. After all, Brandon Streeter is out of a job at Clemson because the Clemson offense was horrendous last year. Uh, the Texas A&M offense, frankly, wasn't much better. But but I, I don't know that's necessarily the right way to look at all of this. First of all, here's the thing you got to understand, that one of the prerequisites for becoming a quality control analyst is that you probably failed in your previous job. Otherwise, you'd still be in your previous job. So anyone who's ever had any need to become an analyst, one of these quality control off-field type guys, almost anyone who's ever been in that position before has kind of become into that position because he lost his previous job. So you can't really judge the quality of a quality control analyst hire on the basis of how bad the guy was in his previous stand. If he was very good at that coaching position, he'd still be in that position. So I think it's important to keep that in mind there as well. But it's also important to keep in mind that when you talk about the ability to produce the best possible game plan, the ability to, to kind of conjure up the, the, the perfect precision for a program, the additional knowledge gained by having veteran coaches, the additional knowledge gained by guys who've kind of been around the block here a, a few times, I think a lot of that actually creates a lot of positive value, a lot of return on investment for the program, not necessarily tons of money compared to what the 10 on-field coaches make, but oftentimes far more valuable than the actual financial investment you have to make in all of this. In fact, you want to go back to the start of the Kirby Smart era. This is one of the things that we saw is that Kirby Smart knew that there was an opportunity to kind of fill out this part of the Georgia roster. At the time, you were limited, I believe, when Kirby Smart first took the job here. There were only nine on-field coaches. Now there's 10. But Kirby Smart sort of knew by NCAA rule, you can only have so many on-field coaches, whatever the exact number was in any given point in time in college football's history. But where the rules were not quite as clearly defined, you could exploit that. You could bring in sharp people. You could bring in smart people, and you could lean on their expertise to either aid your recruiting efforts in some respects, to aid your game planning efforts in some respects, that these could become valuable parts of your program. And at Georgia, that was kind of a new idea. I was actually doing some research on this this morning. Believe it or not, I occasionally do some of that. There was a story on the pages of dognation.com from like way back in 2017. These are truly early days 
But Smart, who was also kind of in his early days as a uh, Georgia coach, was talking at the time about the value of bringing in quality control analysts. Let me go back and read this quote to you from way back in 2017. Kirby Smart says, I think if you look at a player-to-staff ratio, football is easily the most understaffed sport because we've got 130 players. He means you know walk-ons and everything else there as well. And it's hard to manage 130 guys. When you're talking about class, off-field stuff, behavioral issues, everything else, he says, I mean, just support. So we need the support that we have. In other words, that, that's Kirby Smart from Dog Nation Story way back in 2017. In other words, he says, what's the job of a support staffer? They provide support to the rest of the staff. And who wouldn't want as much of that as you could possibly get, especially when you talk about bringing in guys like you know, Streeter or, or, or Dickie who've kind of been around for a while. And what's funny is, is that when Smart said this way back then, it was a little bit of a controversial idea. You may remember like years ago, back when Greg McGarity was Georgia athletic director, when Mark Rick was still head coach, the idea of something that Rick wanted to do, hiring more support staff guys. Now, eventually, I guess when, when Jeremy Pruitt came in as defensive coordinator, some more of that kind of stuff started happening. In a lot of ways, Pruitt was a little bit of a catalyst for some probably necessary change at UGA. He <laughs> was also a catalyst for maybe some not so great stuff either, but that's a different topic for a different day. But the point is, is that at the time, Georgia Athletic Director Greg McGarity was kind of pushing back on some of this kind of stuff. And I think the quote from McGarity is, if you want to go back on the internet, you can probably find it. But the quote from McGarity at the time was something to the effect of, hey, if we're going to have guys employed here, we need to have clearly defined role for them. We can't just have guys in the payroll and nobody really knows what they're doing. That was kind of the idea at the time that there was something kind of nefarious about parking a bunch of ex-coaches on your staff and nobody really knows what they're doing. Like, like why do you have these guys employed here? And at one point in time, there was even some discussion at the NCAA level of, oh, maybe we should limit this, and maybe this is cheating to have these guys on staff. But ultimately, you know, listen, you know, we like college football, therefore we like the college football coaches. The idea that they have, you know, professional opportunities, it's not always the older dudes kind of falling back into the analyst role. In some cases, it's young guys working their way up. Former analyst uh, at Georgia, Eddie Gordon, now an on-field coach at UAB. Former analyst Buster Faulkner, who had been an on-field coach prior to coming to Georgia, but now he's at the uh, Power 5 level at Georgia Tech, that it kind of becomes a little bit of a professional development opportunity too. So, Kirby Smart, one of the coaches, you know, years ago, kind of fighting the battle of, hey, this is not some sort of weird thing. This isn't cheating. This isn't nefarious. We're not, we're not, you know, stealing from our employer by by hiring these analysts. These guys are going to serve a function. They're going to provide a role to the program. And by now at Georgia, we've seen enough examples of that. We will remember a year ago in the SEC championship game when uh, you know, Georgia was obviously so successful and piling up 50 points against LSU after the game. Uh, Todd Munkin talked a, a little bit about how it was Mike Bobo and some of his play calling ideas that actually led to some of the Georgia scores that day. So if you're a Georgia fan, you don't have to look very far to kind of see examples of the fact that Georgia has benefited from the quality control staff that it's had, what we call the kind of the off-field analysts, that Georgia has benefited from those guys, both in terms of what they've occasionally meant for the recruiting efforts, what they've also meant from some of the game planning efforts too. They can't be an on-field coach. They can't be out there, you know, I guess, practicing, doing some things like that. But there is plenty they can do. And over the course of the years, Georgia has gotten plenty from those kind of guys. But that sort of brings us back to sort of the original part of this discussion of, okay, well, B.A., even if we agree with you that um, that it's good to have off-field analysts, it's good to have these quality control guys, is it really good to bring in a guy like Daryl Dickey from a Texas A&M offense that was horrendous and a guy like Brandon Streeter from a Clemson offense that truly was horrendous there as well? Well, let me defend both these dudes here for a moment, then I'll kind of get to, the, I guess, the, the final point of all here. First of all, in the case of Dickey, 
it ain't his fault the Texas A&M is so bad on offense. That belongs to Jimbo Fisher. All poor Daryl Dickey was, former head coach, by the way, at North Texas, all Dickey is in this particular case is the scapegoat for all of this. You know, it's clearly failing at Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher doesn't want to take the blame for himself. So you point the finger at Daryl Dickey and say, hey, it's this guy's fault, even though this is the same offense I've been running my entire life. All Dickey becomes, in this case, the scapegoat. Now, Bobby Petrino is going to come in there and run that thing, as I think, as the offensive coordinator. We believe he'll get a chance to call plays, but we'll find out this season how true that is. But it's not Daryl Dickey, even though he's the guy that got fired. It's not his fault that Texas A&M was awful on offense. You can't blame him for that. But on the case of Brandon Streeter here for a moment, Streeter, who was promoted to uh, uh, you know, Clemson offensive coordinator because the previous guy got the Virginia head coaching job, pretty quickly it became obvious that Streeter wasn't quite ready for that kind of job. The Clemson offense wasn't good, and an internal hire probably was not the thing that Dabo Swinney needed to do. In fact, it's really kind of at issue right now about whether or not Clemson is even still a playoff level program for a while many years they've been a perennial playoff contender a perennial presence in the playoffs to I guess use way too much alliteration but you know they they'd just sort of been a factor in every playoff for year and year and year and year but a lot of the offensive staff that made that possible they've kind of moved on they've gotten promotions they moved on they, they, they've gone other places and what was left over wasn't quite enough to conjure up the kind of offense Clemson needed they've now made an outside hire going on bringing Garrett Riley the brother of Lincoln Riley from TCU we'll see what kind of change that 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 uh brings about Brandon Streeter clearly just was not ready for the role of being Clemson off uh, offensive coordinator and the Tigers offense I think kind of failed because of it but that doesn't mean that Brandon Streeter can't be a sharp coaching mind I thought it was really interesting when Dabo Sweeney talked about moving off of Brandon Streeter's offensive quarter acknowledging that he needed to be fired acknowledging he needed to be replaced Sweeney went into a lot of profuse praise for Streeter, thanking him for what he had brought to the program uh, and, and thanking him for his years of service to the Clemson program. It's pretty clearly that even though Sweeney fired Streeter, I think it's safe to say he did so reluctantly. And certainly on his way out the door, Dabo Sweeney gave Brandon Streeter, who's now an analyst working at Georgia, he gave him quite a vote of confidence. I want to read this to you just here briefly. These are some comments from Dabo Sweeney on the uh, event of having to fire Brandon Streeter, who's now been hired at Georgia. So Dabo says, Brandon Streeter is going to land on his feet. Billy Napier, he brings up. I think he turned out okay. He's the head coach of Florida. You know, we've had some changes over the years, and this is my sixth offensive coordinator. And we've had changes. Guys have moved on to be great head coaches and different things. Brandon Streeter has got a great, great future ahead. That's Clemson coach Dabo Swinney talking about the firing of Brandon Streeter as his offensive coordinator. Now, what he means there by mentioning uh, Billy Napier is, is that Billy Napier at one point in time was Clemson offensive coordinator. That Napier had kind of worked at Clemson, got promoted offensive coordinator in the early days of Dabo as a head coach. The offense wasn't good enough, and so Napier was fired. The very next year, Billy Napier after having been fired at Clemson, became an analyst at Alabama. And then shortly after that, he was wide receivers coach. And then now he's the head coach of Florida. Now, we don't know yet what kind of head coach Billy Napier is going to be. Our early indication is it might not be very good. But if I told you that you had a future SEC head coach working as a quality control analyst in your program right now, would you think that was a valuable commodity? Of course that you would. Or if I told you you have a coach working as an analyst that's also capable of being maybe a position coach in your staff if one of those jobs would come up in the next few years, would you also think that was a valuable commodity? My guess is that you probably would. 
And so what Billy Napier is saying there, I should say what Dabo Swinney is saying there is, hey, think about Brandon Streeter the same way you think about Billy Napier. It remains to be seen how good of a head coach he's going to be, but he was viewed as a quality enough coach to be hired as a head coach in the SEC. He'd been a very, a very valuable part of Alabama's staff for a while as wide receivers coach, but his first job in Alabama was as a quality control analyst. That's why I think these types of guys can be pretty valuable. The best programs seem to have either the most of them or probably better said, the best of them. Guys who've got great experience. Daryl Dickey certainly has that. Brandon Streeter has his own version of that too. Guys who can contribute. And maybe the ultimate contribution is just a small thing. It's one note, one nugget about one game. But when you're trying to win 15 of them, one thing to make one game easier is a pretty valuable commodity. Or maybe it's one relationship in recruiting that creates one more opportunity for a visit. How much more valuable could one more great player in this program potentially be there as well? Because at the very top of the sport, sometimes the margins are razor thin. Georgia went 15-0, and won the national championship, won the national championship game 65-7. to But the game prior to that, the Peach Bowl against Ohio State, that was a very narrow margin of victory in a game that had a thousand different things could have potentially changed the outcome. So when you're playing those kinds of games against top competition, you want every advantage you can get. Georgia may have gotten a couple of extra advantages yesterday by hiring a couple of veteran staffers. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that each and every day on Athens Sports Radio 960. Actually, that's not true. We're on the radio after that at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960. The rep. We're earlier than that, 945, dognation.com, dognation app. So once again, to sort of restate this since I made a mess of it, 945 gets you right here on our platform, dognation.com, the dognation app. 10 a.m. across Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, the rep, and podcast. You can listen to the podcast pretty much anytime you want to after we record it. That's the Apple Player, Spotify, everything else in between. Always love to be able to provide you this podcast in as many different formats as possible. So thank you so much for listening to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Now, I may mess up who I am, what we're doing, but I won't mess up what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about because I am so thankful for their support of our show. We are so lucky around here that we have such a long list of longtime partnerships and relationships, folks that I've been telling you about for years. And it makes me very proud of that because that means I know they're taking good care of our audience because they're coming back year after year after year. Many of you are trusting them when you face big issues. And if you're a homeowner, one of the biggest issues you can face, anything related to foundation, waterproofing, you know the signs of this, water creeping in where it's not supposed to be, foundation stuff, cracks showing up in the walls, concrete floor, your basement, wherever else you see those signs. It is a hint that something might not quite be right. It's easy to want to overlook it. It's easy to want to pretend that it doesn't exist, but there's also nothing good that comes from avoiding that reality. So go ahead and have that conversation with our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Tell them your issue. Now, the good news is, is that Engineered Solutions of Georgia is a solutions-based company. What that means is they're going to tell you how to fix your problem. And sometimes it's a simple fix. And oftentimes we don't know. I mean, what seems like a big deal to us is actually a little bit more of a simple fix for those who do this professionally for a living. But in the cases where the work is more substantial, in the cases where you may need a little bit 
little bit more, you know, kind of to your to your situation, all the better reason to have engineered solutions of Georgia on the job because they've got an entire team of engineers on staff to help you. There's really nobody else in our marketplace that can say they put that level of resource to work for you. All the more reason to give them a call. It's six seven eight E S O G now. That's six seven eight E S O G now. The other thing to know is our friends at Engineered Solutions, proud partners of UGA. So it's really fun to support those that support the dogs. That is what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. So once again, give them a call for your foundation, your waterproofing needs. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. All right, uh, update on something I told you about yesterday. Some of you know we're dealing with a little bit of a family issue this week. My wife's mom has passed away. So many of you have been so kind to share a very nice message about that. I really, really appreciate that. But I want to let you know that tomorrow is our funeral for this. And, you know, we've tried logistics to sort of figure out how this is going to work. And unfortunately, we're just not going to have a window to pre-record a show. We just don't have one. It's not something we're going to be able to do. So tomorrow, because of this, we are not going to have a show. We very rarely miss a show. And I hate missing shows. I really do. But tomorrow, it cannot be helped. And we'll be back on Thursday in our normal format. And everything will be just the same as always. But tomorrow, there will be no Dog Nation Daily. So I want you to do me a huge favor. Obviously, for those of you who are hearing me right now, we'll miss you and look forward to seeing you on Thursday. But y'all be sure to let people know because, listen, everybody connects with the show a little bit different way. And not everybody's on one social media platform or not everybody's connected with the audience at large. Some of y'all talk with each other a lot. Not everybody does. So if you know someone who likes the show, if you know someone who's a part of our show, but maybe not, you know, always in communication with our communication channels like social media and things like that comment sections whatever please let them know hey ba said there's not gonna be a show on wednesday you can even tell them why if you want to uh but we'll be back on thursday so this will come as a surprise to some people so if you can help me get the word there out on that i would really really appreciate it all right so with all that said we're gonna get ready to roll on here before we're done today it is a uh, former georgia quarterback jake Fromm. that is always a great conversation Connor Riley coming up in a moment here there as well and one of the things we're going to talk to Connor about early buzz from spring practice a few practices in the books we've talked to a few Georgia players we've heard from Kirby Smart a couple of times and we'll kind of try to figure out okay what have we learned here thus far through a handful of Georgia spring practices and as a lead into that conversation with Connor I'm going to go around the doghouse here for a moment and when I think about my own kind of ear to the ground what I've tried to hear and what's going on it definitely seems like there's a lot of energy coming from some new Georgia players, maybe most prominently the transfer wide receiver Dominic Lovett. But overall, the trio of transfers that Georgia has brought in, especially after not bringing in a transfer a year ago, it seems like that justifiably so has been some of the talk of spring practice here thus far. So I wanted to go back for a moment to an audio clip we haven't heard yet from when Kirby Smart spoke last week to kind of kick off spring practice. You know, what he thought about uh, Rara Thomas, the wide receiver formerly of Mississippi State, Dominic Lovett, wide receiver formerly of Missouri, uh, Deion Bowie, the uh, former Texas A&M Aggie from Kirby Smart's hometown of Bainbridge, playing a defensive back now for UGA. You know, his reasoning for bringing these guys in and his outlook on that trio ahead of their first Georgia spring practice. This is what Kirby Smart said about his transfer additions last week. I think their experience. I think when you talk about uh, Dom and, and Rara, they're guys that have competed in our league. They've caught a lot of passes in our league. They've been very productive in our league. And it was a position that we were losing several players at. And 
we needed to be able to uh, help our quarterbacks. You know, your, your quarterbacks need some weapons to throw to, and, and those guys uh, do that. And then with uh, Dayon, you know, the, the guy that I've known a long time since uh, ninth grade, he's been coming up here to camp. We've known a lot about him, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing him go compete in the secondary with <clears throat> a lot of open spots. I think sometimes there's some confusion as it relates to Kirby Smart that somehow Smart is anti-transfer. Uh, I think what Smart is probably better said as is Smart doesn't move too fast on anything. And Kirby, to his credit, even last year when it was really talked about the fact that Georgia didn't have a transfer player in comparison to some other would-be playoff contenders who had brought in lots of transfers, I think it was thought that was that was some sort of stance against transfers by Kirby Smart. But Smart said plenty of times, hey, if the right transfer had been there, we would have taken them. And so given the fact that Kirby's reiterated that position over and over again, I think that says something about the transfers that Georgia has right now, that, uh-oh, if I'm competitive against Georgia, if I'm an SEC contender compared to Georgia, if I'm a national contender compared to Georgia, uh-oh, Kirby Smart found some uh, Georgia-level players that fit positions of need, uh-oh. Uh, Georgia that didn't see that a year ago saw three of those guys this year that means the Georgia roster just got better by three players based on Kirby Smart's evaluation of this if I'm a competitor against Georgia I probably get pretty nervous about that because you know I'm led to believe smart people the kind of people who sort of know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody have told me there were some other positions that Georgia would have considered taking transfers and if the right guy had been there Georgia would have liked to have added that right guy at that position but they didn't do it even though they kind of viewed it as a position of need and you're led to assume that the reason why they didn't is they didn't see a Georgia level player at that position Georgia may have recognized the need on its roster for a little bit more depth but they didn't see the player out there that kind of fit the overall pedigree of what Georgia had on its roster. In other words, they're not just going to add a player to add a player, even if it is a position of need or a position where they'd like to have more depth. It's got to be a match of we feel like it's a need for us. We also feel like this player is at the level of the rest of this roster. In the case of two wide receivers, Rod Thomas and Dominic Lovett, and a defensive back like Deion Bowie, who himself was a former elite recruit, that is what Georgia saw. Now, the guy that may be out in front of the rest here may very well be Lovett because of the numbers he put up a year ago, but Ra Ra and Smoke are uh, pretty impressive players in their own right. New guys always bring new energy. And the early word is that maybe uh, this group is bringing a little bit of energy here to these Georgia practices here thus far. We'll find out how true that is with Connor Riley here in a moment. As I told you, it's Jake Fromm later on there as well. Spring practice rolling on. We're all looking forward to G-Day. And as a way of getting even more excited about what we might see, let's talk about what Connor Riley has already seen. Here's Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. It rolls on right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to talk to Connor Riley, especially at the uh, topic at hand with spring practice taking place. Uh, I'm curious to hear from Connor what he's kind of observed here thus far. Connor's been a part of all of these press conference conversations. He's seen some of Georgia practice. He's no doubt knee-deep in all the rumor mill of the stuff that's been going on behind closed doors. Uh, Connor, I guess, is a lead in all this. Do you kind of agree with me that uh, certainly maybe in the case of Dominic Lovett, but maybe the trio of transfers overall, that that some of the early interest in what's happening at spring practice kind of centers around these guys, guys who were, and in the case of the two receivers, certainly veteran contributors already in the SEC, Bowie playing in the SEC last year himself, but maybe not quite as experienced as Lovett and, and, and Thomas, that, that these additions have a chance to be very impactful for Georgia this fall, but already pretty intriguing for Georgia this spring. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I think you can look at another set of Bulldogs, the, uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, as they made their eighth straight uh, Sweet 16, <laughs> despite some uh, public criticism that they wouldn't. Uh, uh, you know, look, I'm going to be here next week talking about how Gonzaga's got a great chance sure. to get that Mets in the Final Four. Sure, uh, sure. But yeah, uh, you know, we spent so much time last season, and I, I certainly pushed this narrative myself, about how Georgia didn't take any transfers last year and what that meant. And Kirby Smart, true to his word, I, I think went out there and showed – it's not some aversion to bring in guys from the transfer portal. It's just we didn't feel that there was anyone that really came in and, and fit what you know Georgia was looking for in that you know transfer portal. Guys that filled areas of need. Well, it's pretty clear that this year, especially I think with the addition of Dominic Lovett first and foremost, that they want to gear maybe this offense to be more wide receiver friendly or wide receiver oriented, and in bringing in a guy like Lovett to pair with. Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, Arian Smith as well, and I'll throw in Rod Thomas there in addition. Uh, they, they want to gear this offense to be more wide receiver friendly, and I think that's in part because there's really no replacing a Darnell Washington-type player. Yes, Oscar Delp is fabulously talented. I think he's going to be a very important Bulldog in the future, but what Darnell Washington brought from a blocking standpoint it just can't be replaced. And so they're retooling the offense a little bit, and they had a chance to go out there and grab some really talented players. I'm really interested in seeing what we see out of Lovett and how they choose to use him. He had a great game against Georgia last year. I think six catches, 84 yards, in a game where I think if Missouri has better quarterback play, they'd probably find a way to win that. And so Lovett coming to Georgia, I mean, he had nearly he had over 800 yards receiving for a Missouri team that really struggled at the quarterback position in terms of finding consistency. I think we all here think whoever is going to be the quarterback for Georgia is going to be a good bit better than what Missouri had last season. And while I don't know if Lovett is going to you know, get to 800, 1,000 yards receiving, I do think he's going to be a very important player and a guy that you see make an impact pretty early on in his time at Georgia. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm pretty self-aware. I know we always around here have a tendency to bet the over on every you know Georgia skill position player for what they'll be able to do during the upcoming season. We, this is the time in which hope truly does spring eternal. But in the case of Dominic Lovett, this may just be real. Like Dominic Lovett, because of the numbers he's put up a year ago, because of the fact that he's now playing on a much better team and he's going to be the beneficiary of better quarterback play, there's a chance that Dominic Lovett is a very good player. You know, there's a chance this is one of the best receivers that Kirby Smart has had at Georgia. And there's also a chance that he's not, of course. But I mean, I think folks need to be fully prepared for the idea that the 800 plus receiving yards he had from Missouri a year ago that wasn't smoke and mirrors that was a guy who just continually found a way to make plays for a team that that needed all the plays he could get yeah and in seeing him at practice last week I think the thing that I was most impressed with was you know he physically looks how you would expect an SEC wide receiver to look and you know with Lad McConkey and what Georgia's going to be able to do at the spot this year you know, they can move him around. They can move Lovett around. Arian Smith is a guy that's going to get snaps at the slot. Obviously, they can move Brock Bowers out there. Uh, whoever ends up lining up in the slot for Georgia when they do those three wide receivers or sort of in that vein of personnel choices, look, that slot is going to have an advantageous matchup almost every time they play because traditionally your, your, your nickel corner is maybe not the guy you feel most comfortable with and he's more often not helping in the run game than he is for what he's able to do in the passing game. And so if you're able to rotate around and have a guy like Dominic Lovett, a guy like Glad McConkey, who probably could have also finished with 800 yards receiving last year had he not been banged up at the end of the season, uh, you've got very, very good options to play with at that slot position with these wide receivers, in addition to also having Brock Bowers, who 
is probably or might be the best player in the country. So we know that Georgia's success formula is at least as much about defensive as it is offensive, not more so because of how historically good the Georgia defense has been. And yeah, even with that said, Connor, I always sort of think about spring practice as a time for the offense more so than the defense. It seems like Georgia's always dealing with its share of, you know, injuries that are being kind of coalesced during this t- uh, time of year uh uh and uh, convalesced convalesced is the right word maybe either way they're, they're recovering from injury you got some star players potentially kind of not playing on g-day the defense is kind of in handcuffs anyway they don't rush the pass so they don't get a chance to do things like that you know are you kind of the same mindset of hey it's offense sort of more interesting than defense this time of year or are there a couple of things right now that you do think are playing at spring practice involving the defense that you do think fans should know? I, were Jalen Walker and Marvin Jones Jr. healthy, I'd be a lot more interested in sort of what we see from that outside linebacker position. But given that they're both missing spring practice, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what we're going to see out of that outside linebacker position that is going to translate into the fall. Uh, you know, obviously, Chad Chambliss is a known product there. We'll see how much headroom guys like Damon Wilson, Darius Smith, uh, they, they make when they get out there and play. But, you know, that's probably the biggest question mark that I have with this defense, and we're just not going to see a whole lot of that during G-Day. I guess the cornerback battle is going to be interesting, but I think when it comes down to it, Georgia's going to feel good, whether it's Dalen Everett, Allen Green, Julian Humphrey, or A.J. Harris out there. Uh, they've got really talented guys across the secondary. I guess there's some interest in what they do at that safety spot in terms of replacing Chris Smith, but – David Daniel was a former top 100 overall recruit. I could see them moving Javon Bullard in there as well. You know, Janelle Aguero is a top 50 recruit in this past signing class. They're so deep on the defensive side of the ball right now, and given what we've seen year in, year out from Georgia in terms of replacing guys with the infrastructure that they have, with the coaching stability that they have, they didn't lose a single defensive assistant from last year. I really think that this defense is going to be fine. We'll see what the ceiling on this group ultimately is and what it ends up being. I think you need to see guys like Michael Williams, Bear Alexander, Malachi Starks, the sort of sophomores, all make big leaps to for this to be a truly elite and dominant defense. But in spring practice, you're not going to see that. And as you point out, the spring game doesn't really set up for that. Moving back to the offense here for a moment, you had a good piece at DogNation.com about the offensive tackle battle that is uh, ongoing here right now. And you know, this is one of those things where, no disrespect to Austin Blask, yeah, I, I do believe that fans are probably rooting for Ernest Green because I'm sure they view Green as having the higher upside. But Blask, he's one of those guys that's been here now for a while. And he's had a lot of nice things said about him. And oftentimes we've been pleasantly surprised by offensive linemen who've turned out to be better on the field than maybe we were led to believe because of the recruiting ranking or just because of, you know, whatever else. So sometimes we get pleasant surprises in the Kirby Smart era by how guys actually play. What do you make? I mean, on the one hand, we sort of know Amarius Mims sort of the next big thing and likely will be. But what do you make of what could be going on between, like, say, Blasky and, and Ernest Green to potentially be another starter at an offensive tackle spot? If Georgia had a game tomorrow, Austin Blasky would be their starting left tackle. Now, obviously, they don't have one tomorrow, and, and they've got a lot of time between now and when they play UT Martin. And quite frankly, even you know when they get in SEC play and they play South Carolina their third game of the season, to, to sort of find and figure out who that other tackle is going to be. I think Amarius Mims is your rock-solid uh, right tackle. I think by the end of the season, he's got a chance to be one of the better offensive linemen in the country, just given what he can bring to the table from a physical standpoint. And so the big thing with Ernest Green, you know, he's coming off back injury, uh, back back surgery, rather. And anyone that has ever played sports knows that is a tricky proposition to come back from. And so Georgia, you know, said in October of last year, I, you know, Ernest probably isn't going to play a whole lot for us this year. Let's have this surgery done. 
in hopes that he can be ready to go for spring practice. He's going through drills. He is repping with the first team at times, splitting that with Blasky. But he's going to have to work himself into shape. And at this point in time, he's playing catch-up to where Blasky is. Now, he's got a long runway. I, I think this left tackle battle, like pretty much every offense, or every position battle for Georgia, is going to go into the fall. I don't really expect anyone to go out there and dominate so thoroughly that they win this position battle in spring practice. But right now, Ernest Green is playing catch-up. And while he's got the talent, we saw last spring what he was able to do when healthy. Uh, he's got some catching up to do to Austin Blasky, who's just a rock-solid player. Georgia knows what they have in him. He's going to play a role for this team in some way because he's going to be either the starting left tackle or he's going to be sort of the swing guy that comes in off the benches at six offensive linemen. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in the uh, quote from Kirby on the Ernest Green thing about how uh, Ron Corson sort of recognized that, recommended that surgery, I guess it was October of a year ago. And to me, Connor, that kind of came across as, I think, some really interesting long-term thinking for Georgia, that when you are buttoned up and you sort of have a lot about your organization kind of in place, you can do a little bit more thinking ahead than the program that's maybe somewhat more panicked and just trying to get through the season than it's in and trying to work its way up to being a contender. That You see lots of examples of Georgia being comfortable doing some long-range thinking, trying to imagine what's going to be important later on and making sure you do that right now and taking that step to get Green healthier last year so that he can be ready now or get ready as you head towards the fall. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting window into how Georgia operates and the role that a guy like Ron Corson plays in all of that. All right, and we've seen this before. Think back to Keely Ringo's true freshman season when he came in in the class of 2020. He has labrum surgery you know, when he gets to campus in August, and Georgia very easily could have said, hey, like Keely, we want you to play special teams. We're going to you know, have you play through this. I think Marvin Jones played through a similar injury last year you know, to contribute and whatnot and then you know they had Keeley have that shoulder that labrum surgery he's able to go through spring practice ultimately able to win a starting cornerback job for Georgia and then ultimately make the biggest play in the national championship game that season Kirby Smart knows what he's doing and he understands his team he understands depth the roster you have guys like Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon and then you have a guy like Amarius Mims as your third offensive tackle it affords you certain luxuries with younger players to where you can be like okay Let's take the long path with Ernest Green here, knowing that, well, yes, he could absolutely help us out in a pinch if we needed to last season when things did get, you know, injuries did start to pile up there, especially at the end of the season. But we know Ernest Green is a much more important long-term investment than necessarily getting a few snaps at this point in the year. You know, the other day at dognation.com, I thought you had a terrific practice report. And I'll tell our audience that as someone who's occasionally attended Georgia practices, the practice report thing is not easy to do because everything's happening at once. Uh, it's like the, what is the Academy Award movie? Everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, you sort of feel like you've got this entire like football, you know, thing happening all around you and trying to make sense of what you're seeing. Not always the easiest thing to do. I think you do it very well. And I'm just sort of curious if you'll bring some of that onto the air for us here of, you know, you're in a position that I haven't been in, that our audience hasn't been in. You were standing on the Georgia practice field watching it in person uh, the other day. Give us a little bit into, in, a little bit of insight into what you saw. Yeah, uh, we'll get another chance to see practice today. Good. Uh, and we appreciate that. Uh, look, you know, they're not running full-fledged plays. We're not seeing, you know, 11 on 11 and things like that. But you do learn things and you do pick up things from just sitting there and watching and seeing these guys. I think one thing that jumped out to me, even with no Marvin Jones and even with no Jalen Walker, the outside linebacker room is a lot bigger physically yeah. than it has been in years past. And I think that's going to show up with the way that Georgia goes about playing this season. Uh, we saw a bunch of freshmen for the first time, and it shouldn't come as a surprise that guys like Jordan Hall and Jamal Jarrett, especially on that defensive line, you know, are going to need to continue to do work on their bodies to get it where – 
you look at a guy like Michael Williams now, and I can remember vividly saying, you know, when, when we saw him last year, everyone was comparing him to Trayvon Walker. And I'm like, that guy doesn't look like Trayvon Walker. In year two, Michael Williams looks a lot more physically closer to Trayvon Walker than he did a season ago. And I think that's something important to keep in mind with some of these freshmen that we're out there seeing for the first time. I think one thing I did find interesting, uh, you know, when we get out there, we're having to sort of guess and match numbers with who is where because they don't provide a, an updated roster in terms of numbers and where freshmen are playing and things along the lines of that. Smoke Bowie was practicing at cornerback, and I, you know, I think most of us all probably eventually see him as a safety or a star position player for Georgia. The fact that Georgia feels comfortable rolling him out there at cornerback right now, I speak, think speaks to his versatility and what he's going to be able to bring to this team this season. I, I don't expect him to factor into the cornerback battle. I think that's going to be between Dalen Everett, Nyland Green, as sort of the two front runners there opposite Kamari Lasseter. But, you know, it, it shows that Georgia in spring, they're going to try things. They're going to move guys around. I'm going to move them all across the formation. And I, I think that's important. And then, you know, one final sort of tidbit there as well. You know, this was our, I think this was Georgia's, uh, when we saw them on Thursday, it was their second practice. Those guys are already getting after it and getting intense. Uh, you know, Gabe Harris and Pierce Sperlin had a little skirmish where Pierce Sperlin's helmet popped off, and those two guys were getting into it. And for Georgia to have that kind of intensity in practice, too, I think speaks to a big reason why they're a two-time defending national champion. Yeah, that's all really valuable insight. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And the time we have left, we haven't really talked quarterback yet. We probably should have. You know, I think we're all kind of led to believe, hey, this is one of those things that Georgia's going to do everything it can to kind of keep – it under wraps. Kirby did reveal that it's going to be a Vandegrift back sharing situation with Stockton trying to work his way into that mix. What else have you been able to glean from all of this here thus far? Yeah, uh, look, I don't think there's any point in sort of beating around this. Uh, Georgia very much wants to go through the season with three scholarship quarterbacks. And look, with the transfer portal window being open from May 1st to May 15th, I, a lot of people. There's no point in, in hiding from this. You know, a lot of people see Brock Vandegrift as the guy winning this. Or not Brock Vandegrift, excuse me. Carson Beck being the guy that ends up winning this job. And, look, I know Kirby said that Gunnar Stockton, you know, don't count him out. He's not getting first-team reps right now. They absolutely view Gunnar Stockton as a viable long-term starting quarterback option. So where does that leave Brock Vandegrift? Uh, I wrote about this going into spring practice. I still believe it today. I think this guy is the most interesting player on the team this spring in terms of what do we see from him in terms of growth. How does he factor into this quarterback battle? What does he do when he does get those first team reps? Because obviously everyone's going to be interested in, I think, with what Vanderbilt does. Does he stick it out? Does he play with this team through the fall? Sitting here on, what, March 21st, I do expect him to stay with the team. I, I do think he wants to finish things out with Georgia. I've been led to believe that he can graduate from Georgia in December, and I think that would make transferring a little bit easier for him And in terms of having the ability to do so. And so I think the big thing with Vanny Griff, what kind of strides does he make and how close can he keep this with Beck? Obviously, quarterback uh, Georgia's going to want to see Carson Beck go out there, or whoever the quarterback is, go out there and win the starting job. They don't want to have to just hand it to someone. And I expect whether it be Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton or Carson Beck, whoever it is, to make it very difficult on the guy that is ultimately going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I agree with your intrigue about Vandegrift. And, you know, to me, a lot of this kind of comes down to, let's just say the stake of conversation that Beck does become the starting quarterback. The battle between Stockton and Vandegrift to be number two, I think, really matters. First of all, if you're the number two quarterback at Georgia, you'd be a fool to leave just because of how much backup quarterbacks have factored into SEC play. That your chance of being 
a starting quarterback on the field may be better as a number two at Georgia than moving on somewhere else where we see lots of transfer quarterbacks that end up not starting at the place they transfer for uh, a myriad different reasons for from time to time but Vandergriff's if we stipulate just for the sake of conversation that the veteran back is the most likely to start then Vandergriff's ability to hold off Gunnar Stockton and be the number two quarterback because we think that Stockton has a long range future Beck's a little bit more of a short I should say Vandergriff's a little bit more of a short-term you know prospect here if he can hold off Stockton to be the number two quarterback at Georgia I actually for him think that's a pretty valuable position I mean maybe that's self-serving because I'm a Georgia fan but I think the recent history of college football demonstrates what I'm saying I would agree with that and Kirby Smart's been the head coach of Georgia for seven years now. Only two has he had one quarterback start every game. You know, yep. Jake Fromm did that in 2019, and then Seth and Bennett did it this past year. But we've seen Georgia rotate through quarterbacks before, whether it be because of injury or whether it be, you know, ineffective play or they want to see what they have in another option. So I, I do probably agree with your sentiment. You know, especially at this point in the calendar, you know, is, is Brock Vandergriff going to transfer somewhere coming in over the summer? where he's playing behind guys, especially because I think Brock wants to be a powerful-level starting quarterback. Uh, you know, is he going to sit and sort of sit out a season in another school? I, I don't see that really being the case or something he wants to do. And again, you know, while yes, I think we all have high expectations for Carson Beck, especially with what we saw during last season as a backup, let's say he comes in and struggles or he does unfortunately end up getting hurt. I, I think you're absolutely right in pointing out that Brock Vandegrift is a guy that can come and get thrust in and get real playing time and get real reps. You look last year, Bryce Young didn't finish every game, and, and Jalen Milrow had to start and win Alabama a game there. Uh, you know, Kate Klubnick at, at Clemson, I know he was a freshman, so it's a little bit of a different story there, but he ends up coming in playing a bigger role as Clemson won the ACC last season. Joe Milton, uh, a guy who got beat out by Hendon Hooker, uh, stuck around for two years there, uh, ends up finishing out last season and is now already being – Ballyhooed as a potential Heisman Dark Horse candidate for some reason. Uh, <laughs> you've seen enough from the SEC to know that it's hard to make it through this schedule uh, fully healthy and fully intact. And while, yes, Georgia's going to have one of the better offensive lines in college football next season, it's no slam dunk guarantee that Carson Beck or whoever Georgia's starting quarterback is is going to be able to make it fully through the season healthy. So let me ask you to close out our conversation here, an overly speculative question. If we hear over the course of the next couple of weeks when we do hear from Kirby Smart, excessive praise for Gunnar Stockton, do you think that's bad news for Brock Vandegrift? Reading extremely between the lines, probably in terms of where he is in the quarterback pecking order. But look, I expect Gunnar to come out and play really well. Uh, there's just something different about this guy. And I think he's a guy, especially in terms of skill set, I think it's probably closest to what Stetson Bennett was for Georgia a season ago. And we saw how important mobility was. Brad Vanderbilt is obviously an incredible athlete there as well. But the ability to use his legs to pick up yards, I think it's something that I'll be interested in seeing how much Georgia uses Carson Beck in that aspect. And, you know, yes, Carson's not the athlete that Brock and Gunner are. But he's still, I think, a capable player. I think he's got athleticism. I'm not saying he's the same type of player, but think of the way that Joe Burrow uses his legs to pick up first downs and to move the chains in that regard. I think Carson Beck is that level of an athlete. And so with that in mind, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Georgia wants to do with this offense going forward and just how much quarterback mobility, something that Kirby Smart has been on record in the past, was a differentiator 
and why he went with Stetson Bennett over JT Daniels, how important that's going to be for this offense going forward. Uh, Connor, great stuff. Appreciate your time here today. We'll look forward to reading a whole lot more from you, dognation.com. I'm excited about you seeing practice. I can't wait to hear more about that from you. And of course, we'll talk to you again on our program again very soon there as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Thanks so much. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Boy, that's good stuff. And listen, I, I told you there at the end on the quarterback stuff, you, you can't help but read too much into it. And as we do that, we're going to acknowledge, hey, we're being very speculative or we're you know reading between the lines. We, we may be seeing something that's not there, but you can't help but kind of have that conversation of how all of that's going to play out. I think that George has got, the best that I can tell on paper, three really good options. It's a competition among quality performers to see who the absolute best is but as we keep saying who can be number two in that discussion I think really matters there as well because number two quarterbacks have mattered a lot in the SEC in recent years we'll talk more about that to Jake Fromm here coming up in just a moment prior to that let's go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and man oh man we're getting so close now about a month away a little bit more than a month away but almost exactly a month away from that cruise with Dog Nation, our second ever Dog Nation cruise coming up this April. It's April 24th through the 28th. We're going out of Port Canaveral. We're going to be going to uh, Perfect Day Coco Cay. We're going to be going to Nassau in the Bahamas. We're going to be on board Independence of the Seas. And at this point in time, it's probably a little too late for you to hop on board with us, I'm guessing. But it's not too late for you to think about your own cruise vacation. You know, if you're like me here in the Atlanta area, that Port Canaveral is, is probably the easiest port to get to. It's a short drive. It's kind of just past Orlando. You know, you go down the floor turn bike, you're basically there and super convenient and then you're on on your way to perfect day coco k that private island oasis that exclusive for those on a royal caribbean cruise vacation and really when people are talking to me about royal caribbean oftentimes that's what they're talking about the value of being in a place like perfect day coco k and the thrill side we have the water park park tallest water slide in north america the chill side where you've got you know largest freshwater pool in the bahamas and all the amazing stuff that's going on there all of that can be yours great travel agent jessica slater wants to help you with it 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147. You can call her, speak to her directly, and she'll get you booked up on your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. All right, before we talk to Jake Fromm, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Uh, pretty viral comment from Nick Saban yesterday. Tony Mitchell, a uh, defensive back signee from Alabama, got himself a little bit of trouble, uh, marijuana-related charges, things like that, and he's been suspended by Alabama. And Saban's statement was, there's no such thing as being in the wrong place the wrong time and pretty immediately everybody took that as a little bit of a rebuke against Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates who had at one point in time sort of said something about that as relates to Brandon Miller his star basketball player who was implicated kind of tied up in I shouldn't say implicated but kind of tied up in the uh the, the murder situation that had gone on there in Tuscaloosa and I think that Saban is sort of being celebrated here for kind of setting the record straight and telling Nate Oates how it should be Maybe that's what should be happening here. But it's fair to point out that this hardline stance that Saban's drawing on all of this right now, go back and look at Deshaun Hand in 2017 and some of the stuff that ha happened prior to that. Uh, what's his name? The, uh, Jonathan Taylor, the defensive lineman that was once at Georgia, transferred to Alabama. You know, this, this sort of like tough disciplinarian Nick Saban who is going to lay down the law to his players. I don't think this version of Nick Saban would be recognized by some of the previous iterations we've seen from Nick Saban in previous years when it comes to uh, some player discipline situations he's dealt with. And by the way, you know, I'm one of those guys that generally speaking, whether it be a Georgia player or a player in another place, I am sort of for 
second chances and things like that like i'm not exactly asking my football coach to be judge jury and executioner on some of these kinds of things if there's an opportunity for a player to keep football in his life that's what i want him to do the alabama basketball situation a little bit more complicated than that and so i think some people think that the program should have done more so they're glad that saban is saying what he's saying right now but i guess there's a part of me that can't help but wonder is there a chance that saban's just jealous then, you know, he lost two games a year ago. The Alabama basketball team has a chance to win a national championship. All of a sudden, an Alabama basketball team is bringing the kind of success to Tuscaloosa, potentially anyway, that Nick Saban used to bring. This sort of about face where all of a sudden Saban's much more serious about a, a discipline issue than I think we've seen him be in some case in the past. Is this a chance to kind of maybe bring Nate Oates down a peg because maybe it's not how he handled the Brandon Miller situation that Saban doesn't like. Maybe it's the winning that Nate Oates has been doing that Nick Saban's not too happy with. I'm just asking questions, but it's at least worth considering because it seems like the tone that Saban's taken with Mitchell here is a little bit different than the tone that Saban has taken with some discipline situations there in the past. You can't help but notice. Uh, Shane Beamer, South Carolina coach, was on one of those barstool shows called Bussin' with the Boys. Taylor is it Taylor Lewin, uh, one of the, uh, the the hosts there on that. The uh, and so they're talking about you know the barstool sort of modus operandi is always kind of asking questions that may make you a little bit uncomfortable so beamer was asked if there was an sec coach he wanted to fight and you know it's like you know shane beamer's i guess fairly straightforward guy you know he tries to play along and stuff like this and so yeah he said there is an sec coach i wouldn't mind fighting and he said that it's a coach it's actually on our schedule this upcoming year so a lot of the sec internet's been trying to figure out exactly who shane beamer might be talking about and it wouldn't surprise me if it's Kirby Smart. I don't think the uh, Beamer Smart relationship is all that great. We talked about that at the time. I certainly think from Kirby's perspective, he doesn't love Shane Beamer. Uh, maybe Shane Beamer now feels the same way about Kirby based on some of the stuff in the football game this past year. So if it was Kirby, I wouldn't be surprised about that. The most common answer would seem to be Mark Stoops because it's Stoops that Beamer had the public dust up with you know post sec media days but the idea of wearing the sunglasses and things like that uh stoops said something about beamer beamer kind of fired back at stoops so that's kind of the obvious answer uh i think there's a chance that eli drinkwitz is kind of mixed in on this too because i think there are a lot of people that don't like eli drinkwitz uh for various reasons uh but everybody's trying to figure out who it is that shane beamer doesn't like and who it is that shane beamer wants to fight Mark Stoops probably the easiest answer on all of this, and uh, maybe that's the right answer, but ultimately I thought it was kind of funny. And as we get uh, Jake Fromm on the phone here, I'll also uh, uh, quickly tell you about uh, John Calipari. Calipari, uh, obviously, you know, dealing with another early exit from the NCAA tournament. And, you know, Calipari kind of responding to his fans. The fact that Kentucky fans are just really disappointed. And Calipari says he understands that, but he also tries to shield some of his players from that. And at a certain point in time, I just think that Calipari's got to understand that this, like, excessively pro player image he's trying to conjure for himself like it's just not working like hey you can be you can be the most player friendly program out there the 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 best springboard to the nba and you can be all about your players but ultimately i do truly believe that calipari's number one constituency is not his players it is his fans and his boosters and the people who keep him employed and given the way in which they keep getting kicked out of the NCAA tournament, losing games they shouldn't lose, I think you have to wonder how much longer Big Blue Nation should want to employ John Calipari. That, that you know, Calipari seems to think that he and his players exist in some sort of ivory tower away from the common fan who's got nothing better to do than complain when they lose. And I just think that mindset's not helping him at all. And it's something he should probably consider will make that. Cruising 
around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, time now for our Kroger Fresh Take as we welcome in the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm, on the program right now. Jake, always happy to have you here, uh, courtesy of our friends at Kroger, and uh, great to do that here once again today. Hope you are doing well, and we certainly appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Brandon, doing great. Glad to be here. One of the things we were talking about before you joined us is the battle at quarterback at Georgia, and my belief that it's obviously interesting who starts at quarterback at Georgia, but if you also look at Kirby Smart's time at UGA, including your first season in 2017, the quarterback who takes the first snap to begin the season doesn't end up being kind of the season-long starter. That was true in 2017. It was true the year before that in 2016. It was true in 2020. It was true in 2021. That at Georgia, backup quarterback has really mattered. You started your freshman year as a backup and ended up leading Georgia to the college football playoff. And this is also true in the SEC there as well. By the end of last year, Joe Milton was playing for Tennessee because Hendon Hooker had gotten hurt. Bryce Young didn't play the full season for Alabama this past year. On and on you could go. To me, Jake, the battle to see who the number two quarterback at Georgia is is almost as interesting to see who the number one quarterback at Georgia ends up being. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a great take, Brennan, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's just a uh, just the way the game is now. Uh, I mean, you are just one play away from being in the fire, uh, being on the field. And, and, and if you're on a, on a good team uh, in a good program, uh, I mean, you have to be ready to take the reins and be able to go and win football games and be that deciding factor that pushes your team over the edge to get to an SEC championship, to get to the college football playoff, and then ultimately try and win a national championship. So uh, you got to be ready. It's going to be a great competition, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see who's going to get it. So selfishly, if you're a Georgia fan, you know, you may be trying to get the players. You hope they understand that because, honestly, let's face it, you don't want one of these guys to transfer. You played in a little bit different age in which, you know, transfers was quite as common as it is now, although that was still a topic even while you were here a little bit. What was your mindset related to all of that? Or maybe the better question is, if you were playing here in 2023, how would you approach the idea of, I've got a free pass, I can go anywhere I want. How do I judge whether my competition that I'm currently in is the right place for me, even if I kind of lose it, uh, or you know, jumping somewhere else where the grass is greener? As a quarterback yourself, how do you think you would have managed all that if you were playing in 2023? It is so crazy to think about that that is what, possibly these guys are thinking about you know going into a quarterback competition not not just for our program but for any program uh, going and hey if I don't win this job where else can I go and for me that that was never a mindset for myself it was just hey I'm a competitor I'm going to go and compete if I want to be as good as, as I want to be or as good as I think I am um, then I mean here I, I want to play and be with the best so I mean this is where I'm going to be uh, I mean, if Jacob is, is as good as he's supposed to be, then he'll play three years and he'll be gone, and then I'll, I'll have two to three years to go and, and be who I can be. So, I mean, for me, I was never uh, really in the mindset at all. I, I love George, love being here, but uh, having that ability in today's game, uh, I mean, is a, a crazy factor, uh, and you can go and and any place i mean it's just it's so so bizarre to me um but but that's what these guys think about is there anything about this quarterback competition that you've heard thus far that you can share with us uh i mean nothing super in particular but i i do believe it is is carson's to to lose um and i i think that they've seen some some great things from him i mean he has unbelievable arm talent and um i i think for him it's just um developing as a leader um just finding that flow of the game, finding that rhythm with, with the offense, and 
uh, really just, just getting experience and taking reps. Um, but I, I do believe it is his to lose. Can you imagine what that must be like for him if that's the the case? Because this is a guy who's been patient. And when you see Carson throw it, you are certainly impressed by what you see and you think he has the chance to be a great quarterback. And yet, you know, you've been waiting so long. Now your moment might finally be here. I'm sure there's a temptation to try not to do too much, try to, you know, you know, push things too fast and just sort of let the game come to you, let the season come to you here from a mindset standpoint. It's sort of like being a golfer, I guess, and kind of sleeping on the lead that, hey, you know, you got to be okay with kind of taking that next step with your career here and I guess just just being comfortable letting all this kind of evolve in its own time he's clearly shown some patience prior to this and maybe just a little bit more patience to let this season play out the way maybe it's supposed to play out well it's great that you kind of alluded to it uh you know as for Carson hey now uh, in this situation I'm getting more reps I'm getting more comfortable um but I can't get too comfortable and just start trying random things at practice because that, then that doesn't look good and that, that creates doubt in other people's mind because I hadn't quite earned it yet where I can go and do certain things yet. So, you know, he, in, in, in his game, he's still trying to figure out what kind of player, what kind of quarterback he is um, with, with certain throws and, and how much can he, he get away with, how long can I sit on my back foot and wait for this guy to come open um, he's still seeing things, so he's also still trying to develop, to develop and see what kind of player, what kind of quarterback he is, all while still trying to win a job as well and hold on to it because everybody's looking at me to be the guy. So um, a lot of times, more than not, that that is a, a much more difficult position to be in uh, than it was saying, uh, "Hey, I'm I'm the number two or three guy, I got all the pressure off my back. Hey, I'm just going in and and, and competing." Um, but but nobody's really looking at me for answers right now. I want to talk to you about some moves that Georgia made yesterday prior to that. Let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Jake Fromm. We do it each and every week. It's one of my favorite parts of the week here on Dog Nation Daily. And I also love telling you about the stuff that Kroger can do for you. Always finding creative ways to help you save, including leveraging technology when possible. In fact, you can go digital and save even more with Kroger right now when you create an account on the Kroger app or on the website Kroger.com, and you can start saving big with some great digital coupons. So make sure you check out Kroger.com slash sign up for more on that that's kroger.com slash sign up for more on that so we talked at the top of the program the fact that georgia added a couple of quality control analysts yesterday brandon streeter former clemson offensive coordinator uh, daryl dickey who had most recently been in texas a&m former head coach at north texas there as well when you were at georgia i guess this would have been what jay johnson the uh, former minnesota offensive coordinator who kind of been yep. maybe in a similar role for those that maybe don't have a full picture of all this what do these analysts do especially on your side of the ball offensive side of the ball with quarterbacks what do these analysts do what kind of role do they perform from your perspective yeah a, a quick answer uh is a lot more than you think um i mean these guys are uh, a lot of times brains of of the operation um these guys are the uh the in-between uh coach and, and maybe the coordinator um they filter a lot of information back to us as quarterbacks uh, hey, I mean, what, what do we really need to know? Give us the big, big picture here. Or, uh, you know, during a game when offensive coordinator is just absolutely flipping out because we made the wrong read, made the wrong play, he can help kind of kind of filter filter out a little bit of that, that anger uh, we get kind of coming back to the sideline and, and keep us more <laughs> level-headed. So, uh, you know, these guys uh, usually don't get paid enough. Um, but but they are uh, really great, especially for a quarterback, because the, the more eyes, the more hands uh, that you can get uh, seeing a defense, um, getting into a game plan to help you learn and understand exactly what's going on week to week. 
uh, I mean, we, we love it. I mean, the more people you can get um, that are qualified in that quarterback room, I, I'm a fan of. Jake, we love the conversation. You always share such great insight with us. We appreciate your time here on our Kroger Fresh Take. Hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to getting a chance to do it with you again very soon. Yes, sir, Brandon. Thank you, too. I tell you, it's really become one of my favorite times of the week. You know, you ask Jake a direct question, he'll give you a really good answer in terms of, you know, what Carson Beck's going through right now and the level of expectation that exists around him and what happens if Beck does emerge as the starter, what happens underneath that. I thought we got some great insight from Jake Fromm right there and also a really good explanation of guys like Brandon Streeter and Daryl Dickey, what they might be doing on this program here in 2023 there as well. There is some insight gain when you are the guy that's played that position. And obviously, that's what Jake Fromm brings on a show like this. Great to have him as a part of the program. Also, we'll finish up here today with a golden shoe and uh, our buddy George on tap. You know, we talk about go for three in 23. He says, point of order, B.A., you don't go for three, you settle for three. In other words, George on tap saying it could be a lot more than just three national championships. Hey, we'll take all of them. We certainly appreciate that. Good stuff from George on tap. We'll give him a golden shoe for that today. And also remind you. Gator Hater Countdown, 221 days from right now. Georgia back in Jacksonville. They will be Florida again. That's our Gator Hater Countdown, as we told you. No show tomorrow. We hate it, but it has to be. We'll be back on Thursday, just like always. We'll talk to you then. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.